the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Anything that hinders your gospel ministry, anything that hinders your preference for others, anything that hinders your spiritual walk must be forsaken. It must be rejected, whatever it takes. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. Last week I was with my family and I took them to a public garden. You've seen it before where some of the trees or plants have little placards in front of them. They give the scientific name of that tree or their plant, maybe a little definition of when it first came to California and what different indigenous people have used the bark for, things like that, explaining their significance. Behind us was another family, similar to ours, parents, young children. And I overheard the dad pointing out the little informational signs, telling his young daughter, look, we can learn about the different types of trees. The daughter was confused. Never seen that kind of thing before. And so he says, and I quote, it's as if you had a phone pulled up to Google at each plant. It's as if you had a phone pulled up to Google at each plant. Now, as much as that statement makes me want to bang my head on this podium, the reality is that I have found myself using the same sort of explanation to enhance the understanding for my young children or other young individuals. But what I realized was what that father was wisely and probably instinctively doing was using, again, any means necessary, whatever it takes, to explain to his daughter the meaning of the words and pictures describing that tree. How much more for us, the words and pictures describing a crucified Savior. To help you further understand what that means for us to become all things to all people, I want to engage you in a little bit of an exercise just to help you understand, to grasp this. If I were to ask you $200,000, is that a lot of money or is that a little money? What's the answer? The answer is it depends. It depends. What are you talking about? A salary? A car? Quite a lot for a car. A house? That's nothing for a house around here. Context is everything. But you won't know the context. You can't be all things to all people if you don't make the effort to listen, to inform yourself, to learn. Let's say we are talking about a house. $200,000. Is the answer a lot or a little? 
Again, the answer is it depends. We default to say that's an incredible price for a house around here. You need to know the context of whom you are talking to. What's the conversation? What's their background? What's their job? What's their education? You need to understand the particular person, maybe not just the context of the conversation, car versus house, but who is that person? Are you talking about a, talking to a billionaire playboy who easily spends $200,000 on a weekend getaway with his friends? Or are you talking to a person to whom $200,000 might as well be $200 billion because they are equally unattainable? And friends, let's not forget the person to whom the answer to that question is, I don't know. How much is a dollar worth in my currency? This is what we have to do with people with the gospel, to be all things to all people. And obviously this goes beyond just words, as we saw with Paul, behavior, cultural norms, dress, food, etiquette, and the like. It does take sacrifice. It may hurt. It may be disgusting eating things that you don't like to eat to get into that place to win an audience for the gospel, to wear uncomfortable clothing. What does that have to do with giving up Christian liberty? Well, for starters, as I just said, the right to be comfortable, the right to not have to learn, adjust, and toil for the sake of another person, another's cultural or situational understanding. Give up that right for the gospel for people. Paul gave up this right because of his passion for the gospel. He gave up all of it willingly, joyfully, for the sake of the gospel. And so should we. So should we. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. For the sake of the gospel, because for the sake of the Lord. The idea of whatever it takes leads us into this morning's passage that finishes off chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that I, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is a well-known passage often used to impassion greater commitment to the Lord through the slaying of sin, and rightly so. But I believe this passage is made all the more powerful when we understand its context of giving up Christian liberty. It becomes clear that Paul is using the training as well as the actual competition of an athlete to illustrate that the Christian life is to be lived with focus and structure. And if you have ever met a professional, semi-professional, even collegiate athlete, you will understand in examining their schedule, their diet, their lives that they indeed 
do whatever it takes. There are rules, that's why. There are standards, there are methods of achieving one's best to keep up with the science, with the nutrition, with the biology. And so rightly so, as he does many other places in the epistles, Paul compares the Christian life and specifically gospel ministry to the athlete. Not just any athlete, not just the guys who go for a little jog to shed some flab. This is the one who wants to win. And so our outline this morning is five qualities of victorious Christian living. Five qualities of victorious Christian living. The first quality of victorious Christian living is determination. Determination. And again, we see all of these from the analogy of the athlete. Again, in verse 24, he writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. The rhetorical question that begins this verse and this passage indicates that Paul is indeed continuing his line of thought from the previous verse. Now, this question refers to a great athletic competition. You are all familiar with the Olympic Games. This existed in Paul's day and was the most prominent athletic competition but one of four Pan-Hellenic festivals. Pan-Hellenic simply meaning it involved all of the Greek world. It was a means four times a year to get all of the Greek people together, uniting them all. The Olympics was the greatest of those festivals. The second largest and most well-known was one that was actually sponsored by the city of Corinth and known as the Isthmian Games. Like the Olympic Games, it involved all kinds of foot races, but also other sports such as boxing, as alluded to here. The Isthmian Games were held every two years. And, of course, many of the same athletes in the great Olympic Games would compete. Much like modern competitions of the sort, the stadium was basically the track, the running track. Instead of an oval like we have today, however, it was a parallelogram. It was approximately 200 yards long and 30 yards wide. Now, although the Corinthians, believers and non-believers, would be familiar with all four of these games, the Isthmian Games serves as the backdrop for Paul's lesson due to its physical and relational proximity to his audience, the Corinthians. Paul begins by making a statement in the form of a question. Yes, everyone knows that all those who are actually running in a race are in the race. But there is only one winner in the race. We say there's three, but there's only one gold. There's only one true winner. Nobody at this level of athleticism strives for the silver. They don't strive for second place. Even those who know that there is no way they are going to beat a Michael Phelps or a Usain Bolt and can only hope for second, they still train and run to be first. Because to strive for first is the only way to push yourself to maximum effort. 
how do you know what second place is going to be? You know first place is going to be the best, so you push yourself to be the best. You push for second, well, friends, all the excuses start flooding in. I'm not going to get first anyway, so, and I think the next, the third guy, you know, and then you're not waking up early. You're not eating what you should be doing. You're not putting in the hours in the weight room on the track. Everyone strives for first place, and this is what Paul is saying. Do your best. Run, train, as if you want to win, as if there was only one winner. Obviously, in the Christian life, there's not just one winner. There's not just one person getting reward in heaven. But you understand the analogy. Do your best. Run to win through self-control and discipline. You must be determined to do whatever it takes. There are no participation trophies here. In the Isthmian games, Christian life, you don't win simply by participating in a race. You can pay the fees. You can show up on time. But just because the marathon official pins a number to your chest doesn't mean you win the marathon. You're just in it. You must put forth the effort not to finish, but to finish well. This takes tremendous amount of effort and dedication. It takes resolve. It takes concentration. Every ounce of strength, all of your energy. Are you determined, Christian? Are you running to win? No one would do this, but if someone were to observe your life, a non-Christian at work, for example, or a relative, if they were to look at your dedication to the Lord and the Lord's people and the world in the name of the Lord, the world around you, could they justifiably joke, man, it seems like that guy's trying to win some sort of prize. He's all in. Take it down a notch. You trying to win a gold medal? Yes. In fact, that's how I want to run. Are you running like that athlete wanting to get the gold medal. Are you determined? That's the first step. It starts here in the mind. Do you say in the morning and every day of your life, this is how I want to live for God? The second quality of a victorious Christian life or Christian living is abstinence. Abstinence. Look at the first sentence in verse 25. It says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. If you've ever been a true athlete, you, you get this. It's not just self-control during practice. It's not just self-control uh, in the kitchen. It's self-control in all things, your schedule, your sleep, how you, de depending on your sport, probably all sports, even how you walk around and do leisure things so as to not hurt yourself, strain yourself. It's all about the race, the game. You have to have self-control. No matter what length an athlete goes to to win, hiring the best coach, showing up to practice, watching film, whatever, 
without self-control and an abstinence from the things that will affect him physically, it is all pointless. You need abstinence. Months. Months. No, a lifetime of hard work and training can all be sidelined by one bad meal on race day. That's all it takes. One distraction during the big game. One priority that you think about while you're running. All ruined. Self-control. I don't believe this is the case, at least not by the Olympic Institute today, but for the competitors in the Panhellenic Games, there was a mandatory time of training that had strict rules. This would be the same today as imposed by coaches. But in modern days, though not regulated by the games themselves, the same is true of any serious athlete. Food, sleep, training, all Kind of not, hey, you should do this, but scrutinized, scrutinized to put them at their physical peak. And a key part of this was the avoidance of anything that would affect their performance. Listen carefully, Christian. Even legal and legitimate desires have to be forsaken and rejected by the athlete who wants to win. Christian liberty. Whatever it takes. It must be the same with us. Anything that hinders your gospel ministry, anything that hinders your preference for others, anything that hinders your spiritual walk must be forsaken. It must be rejected. Whatever it takes. Self-control is mastery over self. The willingness to say no, not only to that which is sinful, but also that which is merely good and not best. I will say it again in a different way. Believer, say no to that which is good, but not best. The athlete does that. That's one of the best supplements out there, but it's not the best. Yeah, but this one's half the price. I don't care because I'm winning this race. Give me the best. You you don't understand. Your high school coach is fine. No, he's not. Hire that guy. Mortgage the house if you have to. Hire that guy because whatever it takes, I'm going to win. Got to say no to a lot. For the athlete, it could be certain foods, distractions, lack of sleep, even family. Even saying, sorry, honey, sorry, kids. A week before the race, I'm getting a hotel with my coach. I cannot be distracted. And I'm keeping my cell phone here. I cannot be distracted For the Christian, it may be physical things like food and sleep, but more likely involve sins, Christian liberties, wrong priorities. Even Jesus says that those who are worthy of Him are those who are willing to forsake family, 
This is abstinence. You know, for the athletes, foregoing certain things is very beneficial. For the Christian, it is imperative. It's a non-negotiable. Years ago, I watched as a close friend trained for his first marathon. Not a professional, just wanted to run a marathon. He bought a book that outlined a schedule of how much to run each day to get to that day, that, the, the, the race day. To not do too much, not do too little, to push himself. What to eat leading up to the race. I still remember the night before, early to bed, ate a huge thing of pasta. You sure you're supposed to be doing that? Yeah, the book says. They know. He wanted to do his best. He followed it to a T. His first marathon race, did he think he would win? Of course not. But he did everything that book said to give it his best. Just the other day, I met someone who showed me his 30-day step-by-step guide to be able to run more, become a runner. Some of you piously pour over every detail of your workouts, your recipes, reading labels, counting calories, finding organic abstaining from any ingredient or number that is not allowed. This is your nutrition label for the Christian life. Read it like I read ingredient labels because a wrong ingredient could kill my son. Read it. Memorize it. Every jot, every tittle. This is your guide to victorious living. It's your training manual. It's your recipe. Follow God. How? Follow the Bible. Quality number three. You need purpose. You need purpose. The end of verse 25 says, They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, we an imperishable Why all of this? Why the determination? Why the abstinence? Why the discipline? We'll look at more. For the prize. For the prize. At the end of verse 25, Paul is making a clear, ironic contrast between the athlete's intense effort and the pitiful prize. A wreath. You've seen it before. A laurel they put on his head. It's the crown. We have a gold medal today. And you say, yeah, but there's more to it. He gets fame. These days he gets fortune. Still pitiful in comparison. It's a perishable wreath. Perishable because it was made of leaves, usually olive, ivy, or parsley. And another contrast is made to the prize that we are striving for, which is imperishable. It does not die, it does not rot, it does not fade away as fame and fortune does. It is with us forever. It is eternal. This is not salvation, you understand. We don't earn that. We can't lose that. It's a reward. It's God's glory. 2 Timothy 4.8, I'll read that for you. In the future, Paul writes to Timothy, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. There it is again which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 1 Peter 1.4, 
speaks of our inheritance as, I quote, imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven for you right now. You say, but, but we don't earn salvation. I get that there's greater reward for how we live, but what it's talking about here in 2 Timothy and 1 Peter says it's already there, it's already it's ours, all believers will get it. So why strive for it? Other religions I get, right? You need to earn your salvation, so they're going to strive, they're going to work, they're going to literally beat and flay themselves. But not us, we already have it, so why push harder? Do you not get it? The fact that it's already ours should motivate you to push even harder. You don't try to earn your title of child to your parents. It's because they are already your parents. It's because they already love you that you push so hard to please them, to serve them, to help them. We need to stop wasting time being distracted by things that provide a temporal reward. I get it. We have families. We have jobs. We need to pay the bills. That's not what we're talking about here. It's when our lives are so focused on temporal reward, we must seek that which is eternal. That is our purpose. And even if that is not a conscious, acknowledged purpose in your life day by day, understand that that is your purpose as God has created you. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.